everyone. Welcome to Scotty on the Horn. This is a podcast where I invite experts from a variety of fields and discuss topics that interest me. So today's guest is Dr. Andrea Wilkinson. Dr. Wilkinson started her academic journey where she pursued a undergraduate degree in psychology at McMaster University. She then went on to pursue a master's and PhD in psychology with a specialization in cognitive aging at Ryerson University. She has done several postdocs, including one at the University of Toronto. Dr. Wilkinson has been studying brain fitness and cognitive maintenance for over 15 years and is the co-founder of BrainScape. This is an online community for adults who want to enhance both their mental and physical capacities as they age. If you enjoyed this podcast, Dr. Wilkinson has her own podcast called the Brain Shape Podcast. It covers the latest brain health and research where she also interviews experts in the field of health and aging. If you want to know more or are interested in her programming, please give her a visit at brainshape.ca. All right, hope you enjoy this one. Hello. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? Not too bad. So just to let you know a little bit about the podcast and how it works, I basically run pretty loose, uh, not not an overly structured formula. I like to have a conversation with experts in the field. You're obviously the expert, so I do a lot more listening than chatting. I tend to look at sport and education pedigree. Uh, we'll skip the sport part, considering that we have an hour, but maybe I'm going to bring you back to leaving high school and ask you sort of about your decision-making. How, how did you choose McMaster and, and what, what program of study? Did you go through psychology through your entire... Yeah, so I studied, yeah, it was psychology when I was in high school. It was like, you have to decide what you want to do when you're like 17 or 18, which was really weird. Um, and I'm like, just like most, I think, teenage girls, I was like, I want to study psychology and like understand how the mind works. And so that's what I was gunning for when I applied to McMaster. Right. And my dad at the time had said, he was like, everyone gets a psych BA. Like, it's so common. Um, he was like, and I'm going to make, I got accepted to McMaster. So we knew that McMaster had a really good reputation in, at the time it was the gerontology department the study of aging. Mm -hmm. Um, so my dad's like, they have a really good gerontology department. And this is 2002 when I went to started going to McMaster. Yeah. Um, and so my dad's like, you know, the population is aging. Like right now, no one's talking about aging necessarily. He's like, but by the time you're done people are gonna start talking about it because the baby boomers are getting older and it's gonna be really relevant and you might consider doing something that distinguishes you from everyone else. Cause like there's like thousands upon thousands of BAs in psychology just from, <laughs> just from McMaster though, like let alone like across Canada plus the world. Like it's, yeah. so he's like, how can you distinguish yourself from the masses? So he was like, why don't you just take some gerontology courses because you're going to Mac see if you like it. Just see what you think. Like, obviously, if you don't like it, don't do it. Yeah. And I completely fell in love with studying older adults and aging. I did some placements in long-term care homes as like part of my like experiential learning. Mm -hmm. And at the time, so this is the early 2000s, but like the long-term care homes at Mac, it was in Hamilton. There weren't, and I think this is true in a lot of places, but it was like these locked units for people that have 
severe dementia. Like if you're living in a locked dementia unit, like you've pretty, you're very far progressed in the disease. Mm -hmm. And so it was just really sad situation. Like people are crying and screaming. And um, I was like on a behavioral unit at St. Joe's hospital. And so people were tied down to wheelchairs or they were like clearly over medicated. And it just broke my heart because I was like, this isn't doesn't seem right but also like how can we protect these people but also have like meaningful engagements with them even though they're severely cognitively compromised like it's not like i'm delusional and thinking like oh we're gonna have (laughs) meaningful conversations and you know start talking about like the weather and what they want to eat for dinner but it's like how can you change your communication style to make it have meaning in a different context in a different way and that was really the beginning of my interest in like the aging brain because i was exposed to like this the extreme end of like severe dementia locked unit in a long-term care facility and i was then became very curious about like if that's the worst case scenario what can we do to protect our brains as we get older and to protect our mental functions um, against developing dementia yeah Sounds like your uh, your father was quite wise. I didn't get the same <laughs> advice. I, I did, yeah, I did a BA in in psychology, and I just I took a year off afterwards, assuming that everyone was going to want to hire someone with a BA in psychology. <laughs> <laughs> and then I landscaped and did snow removal for a year, and then I, I went I back to a year off after too. And I worked at the licensing office, so and I was like, wait a minute, I don't think I'm going to do this for my life. <laughs> What a BA in psych gets you, like licensing office clerk. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, I had no raises and was still doing snow removal. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah so, no, it was, a, it was really, really smart um, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I, I got lucky. I fell back on my sports where I went, oh my God, like this is not what I planned. And then I, I had a freak occurrence. I met an old prof at a bank and I was like, what's going on, Scott? And I was like, my <laughs> life is ruined. And he's like, have you heard of sports psychology? And then that's where I got into it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, so I guess we'll transition now. So you did your undergrad, you got interested in it. Then how did you find Ryerson for your master's and, and maybe what did you study? Um, So I did cognitive aging in the psych department at Ryerson. I was extremely, so I took a year off, as I mentioned, um, and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And I tried to get into grad school. I had applied to a bunch of places, but I also was like really tired after the undergrad experience. So I almost like sabotaged my initial application because I'm like, I want to take a year off. But luckily, taking a year off made me very aware that I needed to go back to school so that I didn't work at the licensing office for the rest of my life. I was like, I have to go back to school. What's happening? This is terrible. So that was good that I took a year off because it made me really want to dedicate myself once I got back into grad school. But I had applied to a bunch of places and I wasn't getting in anywhere, which was really disheartening. And then Ryerson was a new sort of they just started their psych graduate program. Like they didn't have a grad program in at Ryerson until 2007. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was, I was the first cohort to go through the Ryerson graduate school program and do my master's and my PhD. I was the very first cohort there. And that was, it was fortunate because I had sent a bunch of like, so again, my dad with the fantastic advice, I didn't get into grad school initially and my dad was like, you just need to volunteer 
places, like mm -hmm. try to get in some lab or do something like people love free help. Yeah. Um, so I just sent out a bunch of random, like cold emails and was like, I have a BA in psychology. Like I'll do like your like experiments and testing and whatever, if anyone needs help. And a professor at Ryerson was the only person that was like, I'll take the free volunteer help. Like I had a background in it. So it's not like I'm just some yahoo off the street. Um, I had a background in it. And so I started working with her in 2006 as a volunteer. And then the grad program started. And she was like, well, there's a grad program. Like if you apply to it, I'll accept you as one of my students or I'll like say that I'll take you on because yeah. you need to have a professor yeah. that's yeah. willing to work with you. Yeah. Um, so that was super fortunate because I was volunteering with her. She was like, hey, I'll take you on. And I don't think that would have happened through like a cold mm -hmm. experience. Like I yeah. think she was willing to work with me because she had seen me work for a year. And was like, you're awesome. You're hardworking. You're dedicated. Like, if you want to do this, and it was in the cognitive aging lab, so that was where it was almost like my destiny, like found me, because I feel like I kept being like, I'm gonna try something else. I'm gonna try other things, do other things. I'm gonna travel, and like this is just like how it all happened. Like, no one accepted my free offer for volunteer labor except for the cognitive aging lab at Ryerson. Yeah. So it was kind of like, okay, universe, I hear you. Obviously. Yeah. And so I did my master's and my PhD. And in both cases, so I was interested in like, how do you preserve cognitive functions as you get older? Mm -hmm. um, and so at the time, it's 2007 now. And a lot of the interest in the cognitive aging field was around like computer brain games and apps and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I was <laughs> jumped on that bandwagon and did research on brain games. And I was like, I'm going to study this one particular type of cognitive function called inhibition, which is like your ability to ignore distracting information. Yeah. And there were some theories that suggested that that ability was actually linked to a lot of other mental functions like memory and thinking speed. And so I was thinking if we train that ability with the brain games, you actually will see this generalizability to other sort of unrelated tasks. And one of the limits for brain games was that you get better at the game, but you don't get better at anything else. Um, and I thought maybe this was the sort of key. I was like, we're going to like study this one cognitive function and yeah. all the sub domains of this, like of inhibition. And we'll see this transfer that no one else can get. Yeah, but of course that's not what happened. <laughs> it was like, same results as everyone else. You get better at the game, but you don't get better at everything else. Um, and so, and it was important research because, like, that literature really was necessary to show, like, you know, brain games are fun and good if you enjoy it, but don't play brain games thinking you're going to improve like all these different mental capacities that you have like if you're doing like word bubble find on like some app it's like you're going to get better at finding words in like these bubbles like that's what you're getting better at but you're not getting better at like remembering what to get when you're at the grocery store yeah, um, yeah. That's awesome. uh, so, so that was my master's and my phd both of those research projects were really focused on the computerized brain games yeah nothing like um, a null result to finish off <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it was it was interesting because it was 
still important. Like all that research yeah. got published. Oh, yeah. Like it yeah. wasn't even like, oh no, there's no effect. It was like no effect still meant something. Yeah, no effect. That, I, I did one, uh, my worst one was I did, we wanted to answer a question, but there was no measurement tool. So then we assessed the measurement tool and it took like three or four years. And our answer was, no, this one doesn't, this isn't a good measure. <laughs> We still didn't even get to answer the question. Just like, yeah, if you want to answer this, don't use this tool. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I was talking to a friend the other day and I was like, I don't know if it's like academia because like you have these like three year timelines to do stuff. So I'm like, it's not like corporate or like media TV where it's like something like you get information at 10 a.m. and like it needs to be on the news by 6 p.m. Like hustle, hustle. Like I'm like, academia is very like, okay, so in three years, we'll have the answer to this question. Is that yeah. correct? Like, yeah, yeah I'm on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's us whenever we approach people too. We'll approach an organization, be like, hey, want to pair together? We'll let you know what happened in three years. <laughs> like, <they're> like, exactly. <laughs> it's a hard sell. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So you finished your PhD. You found out these games are great for practicing games. They don't transfer. So how did you um, get out and start your company, BrainShape? Yeah, so I graduated in 2014, and I incorporated the company in 2014. Mm -hmm. So it was like, okay, brain games don't work. But like at the time, people were still talking about brain games, and I was like, we got to play these games to exercise <laughs> our brains. And I was like, no, no, stop doing that. That's such a waste of time. Um, and so uh, I was concerned for the people that were aging who were reading like regular general magazines and newspapers about what it meant to keep your brain healthy. Mm -hmm. And every time you read those articles, it's like, it says, you know, like do a crossword, garden, learn an instrument and learn a new language. And it's not that those things are bad for your brain. Yeah. It's just that isn't all there is to cognitive improvement. Mm -hmm. And I would be talking to people like my mom, for example, who was like, well, I don't like crosswords or I don't read novels and I definitely don't garden. So like, I guess I'll just watch television. Yeah. And it was like, there's like this belief that like, this is the list of things to do to improve your brain. And so pick one of them. Yeah. yeah. And that's, but that's not true. It's like what I need for brain health is different from what you need for brain health. Like you have to figure out what your capacity is, your abilities are, and then challenge build your challenge around your existing capacity like mm -hmm. it has to build on itself it can't just be like this like oh pick up a guitar it's like i have no desire to learn to play guitar but i'm gonna sit here and just be like strum strum <laughs> like, be like i hate this i'm not gonna spend any time doing it but this is good for me i'm so confused and it's like it is confusing because it's always on the list of brain health activities like play an instrument it's like well it's not good for people that don't want to play an instrument or don't like it and so i just felt like there was this huge gap between the information that people were given and what you actually had to do to keep your brain healthy mm -hmm. um so i started brain shape because i was thinking like yeah as an academic i have access to all of this research and i can read it and interpret it and understand it and then like share it with my friends and family that mm -hmm. were interested in that topic but like what about the other people that don't have that no one to translate it, no one to look at the academic research and what it says. And all they have is that list at, in the Toronto Star that says, like, do a crossword and play guitar and learn to, le to uh, 
to speak French. So I incorporated brain shape in 2014, right after I graduated. And I was under the impression that I could like learn how to build a business. Cause also I don't have any business background. Like I totally have just been in academia at this point. That was going to be my next question. What were some of the pitfalls or, or, you know, stumbling points where you went, if you could go back in time and say, Andrea, maybe you'd want to consider this or don't do that. Yeah. Well, so I, in 2014, like I incorporated the company and I thought I could run the business or start running the business and have like full-time postdoc positions. Mm -hmm. So I had like from 2014 till 2018, I had full-time postdoctoral research fellowships. And I always thought I could do both. Like I'll like, I'm going to learn the business on the side. Like it's going to be my side hustle. But that it's like, it took me four years to realize that I couldn't do both. Mm -hmm that I had to decide if I wanted to try to run the business. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy that I did the, all the postdoc positions. Like I learned so much and worked with incredible people. And I worked, like I went to U of T and worked with like engineers. Like it was awesome. Like I wouldn't trade, if I went back in time, I would do it all the same. Awesome. Like again, yeah. but I, in 2018, I had decided like I have to choose to not get any more postdoc contracts. And I'm going to choose to try to run my business for the first time ever as a full-time business owner. Yeah. Um, And that was difficult because also I don't know, I didn't know how to run a business. I didn't know what I was supposed to focus my attention on or what I was supposed to do. So that was overwhelming for sure. Mm -hmm. What would be some of the things that you did, maybe that you found worked well when, when making that jump? Um, so from going from postdoc to yeah, business yeah, owner. Yeah. So you went full blown business as as an a- academic, par- partially because a lot a lot of the people who listen to uh, my podcast will, are students right now. So okay. I try and give the, you know, academia is great, but it's one option, right? Even though yeah. all through grad school they tell you it's the only option. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so for me, one of the, because your audience is mostly students. One of the things that was interesting for me is like going through grad school and getting a PhD, like a lot of people that have a PhD become academics and professors. Like that's just like the path they take. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I didn't want to be a professor because my interest was in older adults. And I knew like if I was a professor, I was going to be teaching undergrads and mentoring grad students. And like I could research older adults, but I would never be like one-on-one with them as much as I knew that I wanted to be because my like what I loved about aging research is like I'm sitting across the table like talking to older adults I'm like working in long-term care homes with people and families of people who have dementia and that's what I really wanted for my life and my career and I didn't and I knew academia wasn't the path for me because I wasn't going to have the contact with Mm -hmm. older adults that I knew that I wanted and yeah so it was it's definitely like a hard jump for sure. And I didn't, and I didn't know, like literally it's all about like learning how to fly the plane while you're building it. Like it's, (laughs) it was definitely challenging, but the thing that sort of, I think gave me like a little bit of a head start is that I knew it wasn't even like I tried to become a professor and it was too hard and I couldn't get in. And then I decided it's like, I knew I didn't want that. So it was like, I'm doing postdoc positions, but like where, what I'm, and I had the bit, like the business is what I started right after um, my PhD. So I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I just didn't know how to like bring it to fruition necessarily. Um, 
but I had such great experiences, like, for example, working at the University of Toronto with engineers and like mm. that whole like engineering mindset, which is just like you always just like you build stuff like you yeah. create. It's like, give me an idea. Like, let's talk about what the problem is. And then we'll like figure out a solution and we'll just create something to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. And so that experience, I feel like really instilled in me that like you can create anything. Like, obviously I'm not an engineer, but I'm like, there are engineers out there and they can help yeah. you create if you're like building software or something like that. But it was that mindset of there's a problem and then you can build the solution. I find that's kind of a neat thought too, even thinking about a problem, because as researchers, we often just identify the problem, but don't give the solution. We research and we, here's the problem. And then, yeah. we, and then we write the paper and you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember that was always the hardest part of like, the defense process was always like, well, let's look, what's the real world application? of this project and I'm like um what like to write an academic paper and have it published like it's like no no that's not real world like in the real world and so the the postdoc positions were really integral I think in me seeing the real life application because I worked at Bridgepoint Hospital so that was like doing research on like the impact of architecture on well-being of like patients and staff (laughs) and so it was like instantly real life applicable because it was like we're building this building like is it going to help people feel healthier yeah um and then at um the Ontario Long-Term Care Association where it's like people are in long-term care homes and using implementing the research like right away like it's not this like oh it's in a paper somewhere if someone ever reads it and I like interprets it um and so all those postdoc positions and like I said at U of T with the engineers like we were building technology for people with dementia that lived in long-term care so we were building technology that had different requirements to utilize it yeah. So knowing the limitations and the changes that happen with someone cognitively as they go through dementia, yeah. how can you leverage the abilities that remain intact to be able to work a piece of equipment without needing like this extra instruction? Yeah. Like yeah. you can't say like, here are the new instructions that you need to follow, like log in here and yeah. do go to this menu. Cause they're not going to remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were using stuff that is like a procedural memory. It's an automatic memory like if you look at a wheel like you automatically just want to turn the wheel or you see a switch and you flip it and so that and you didn't have to tell someone to do that like all they need to know is they're allowed to touch this technology that was sitting on the wall and they would turn the wheel and they would flip the switches and so now they could utilize this technology that was built for them but it's like based on their mental capacity awesome all right so i'm going to bring us back to brain shape yeah And I'll start us off just now on uh, maybe getting your interpretation of what successful aging means. So what's it mean to you? Yeah, that's a really good question. So to me, successful aging is being like the healthiest version of yourself. So it's not to say that you have to be healthy in these ways, like you have to have no chronic conditions and be able to sleep eight hours straight. But it's like, what is necessary for you to feel like the best version of you yeah and so that is one that's something that changes across the lifespan and it also changes as someone's conditions develop so if they have like a mobility mobility challenge like how can they begin to move around in a way that is less uncomfortable 
and still lets them do the things that they love. Like just say they're a gardener and they want to get outside and garden, but they have a mobility limitation. It's like, well, how can we get you outside gardening, knowing you have that physical mobility limitation, but doing it in a way that's safe and that allows you to still enjoy that. Um, and so like to me, it's being just the best version of you, whatever that looks like. Awesome. Yeah. In my class, I cover uh, in my aging course, there's 29 definitions and there's problems with other ones. So you said it's not just, you know, being physically healthy, absence of disease. Well, I I think also like as we age, it's almost like it's really uncommon for someone to age and have no chronic conditions. Like, don't get me wrong. There's people that are like that, but most of the time people have chronic conditions and it's like, how do you live your best life within those chronic conditions? Yeah. One of the most popular ones is row and cons, but that's in it. And then when we look at the Canadian population, 10% of the population are classified as successful agers and like, okay, well, maybe the uh, definition's broken here, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Awesome. So uh, based on your definition, you've identified kind of four pillars of brain health. Can you talk about pillars a little bit? Yeah. So when I finished my grad program and I learned about the limitations of brain games, like the next obvious question is like, well, if brain games don't work, like what are we supposed to do? Like, how are we supposed to keep our brains healthy? And at the time, like research just started coming out in 2014 about lifestyle and keeping your brain active in a way that's meaningful to you, not in like a, like a set list of things that you should do. It's just like, what do you like to do? And then do that. (laughs) And so the lifestyle stuff just started coming out. Like the first study that looked at this, like really in like a controlled study was in 2015, because it's, I guess it's hard to run those kinds of studies. And also you have to like control people's lifestyle, but they looked at the impact of like physical fitness. So the four pillars are physical fitness, food and nutrition, socializing, and then what I call mental considerations, but it's mental considerations because it includes sleep stress management and mental challenge or keeping your mind active. Um, And so the research started coming out really 2014, 2015 about the importance of lifestyle on keeping you healthy. So if you think about, it's like, how do you keep your body functioning in the optimal way? Right. And so if you're just like eating really bad food that doesn't have any like nutritional value and you're sitting on your couch all day, Like that is hard for your body to like process that and to make use of like the garbage that you're putting in your mouth. Yes. And so it's like, and when you physically exercise, your body works more efficiently. Mm. Like it starts to function better. Like you process and metabolize sugar more efficiently and your insulin becomes more effective. And that's the hormone that pulls the sugar out of your bloodstream so that your cells can use it for energy. And so moving your body isn't like a, like a luxury or like, oh, if you want to lose weight, you should do this. It's like a basic necessity (laughs) so that your body actually can function properly. And I don't think a lot of people think about it like that. Like, I think they think about it as like this, like, well, I don't want to be like super fit. Like, that's not a big concern for me. And it's like, this is like to help your body not only just function well with like sugar metabolism, but also helps you sleep better and helps your like, and when you're sleeping better then your brain works better. And so it's like all of these pieces fit together in a puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. I always make the analogy or I talk to people and say, okay, well, how often do you take care of your car? You know, vacuum it, wash it 
change the oil, change the tires. I'm like, oh, you know, quite regular, you know, at least every two weeks. <laughs> yeah. How often do you take care, take care and maintain your body? Yeah. But it's also like we're, as human beings, we are creatures of habit, right? And so if you have been every day, you go to work and then you come home and you eat a bunch of food and then lay on your couch for four hours. When you come home, like all you're going to want to do is eat food and lay on your couch. You're like, I have this crazy need to do that. And it's like, yeah, that's because that's all you've done for the last decade. And so your body is creating these systems. Like our brain is only limited in its capacity. And so it makes assumptions about our reality based on like what's happened previously. And it does that for like efficiency purposes. Like your brain can't process everything that's in the room around you and think about every little thing. It assumes stuff. It assumes the curtains behind me are not going to change color Yeah. because it's like, it can't be paying attention to the curtains. It's like, I'm assuming they're not going to change color and I don't need to pay attention to them. So I'll just say that they are brown. And so we are these creatures of habit because that's how our like bodies and our brains work efficiently. And it's like creating new habits is hard. And that's, I think the like downfall for us to like get healthy is one, people think it's going to be really easy. Mm -hmm. Like they are like, oh, but it's like, if I'm at any point like uneasy about this or like it's a challenge that I need to give up. And the second thing is people want like immediate results, which I totally get. Like we live in this super fast paced society where everything just like happens And so it's like if someone's on a weight loss journey or they're trying to like get out of their bad habit of coming home and eating and just vegging out for four hours, they're like, well, I tried it for like three days and like nothing changed. Like I didn't sleep better. I didn't lose any weight. So like, what's the point? Yeah. It's like, well, it's not going to change anything (laughs) in three days. Like it's going to take a long time. And it's like, we have to think about our bodies and our brains as like these like elegant systems that like work in a certain flow. And if it's not functioning properly, it's really difficult to like shift the pattern, but it, you can do it. It's just, it's going to require a lot of effort. And like the important thing is it requires a lot of time. Yeah. Like you have to be really patient, but also like really consistent. And that's, really hard to do when you're being consistent in a behavior and you're not seeing the results right away because it's like well I'm doing it I'm doing yeah. the thing like I've done it for a week and like nothing's changing so I want to yeah. give up yeah. Um, yeah and so it's I think it's really hard for us as humans but we have to think about like our bodies as these like systems that function in a certain way mm-hmm. that have like these shortcuts and that are built a certain way so if we start to zoom out and think of like habit formation as like our brain trying to be efficient. You don't get up and think, what do I do now? If you just go to the bathroom the first thing in the morning when you get up, that's just what you do. You don't think about it. And so it's like, or a lot of people, it's actually, I open my eyes and I pick my phone up and I like start scrolling social media, which is a terrible habit for all of the students that are listening right now. It's really not a good idea because it's like you're bombarding your brain with all of this information that it doesn't need, right? First thing in the morning. Um, and it will sort of like clutter your mind for the rest of the day Mm. but it it becomes a habit which means now you're not even thinking about it you wake up and it's like your phone's in your hand before you even like think about what you're doing yeah yeah i always kind of give the analogy of stream right it takes the path of least resistance so making your brain think is going to be resistant doing what you always do is the path of least resistance so i come home and if i don't have to think about it and i eat 
this without thinking about what I'm going to eat, I will eat it. Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And bringing consciousness to our actions initially when you want to shift the habit is so important. Yeah, yeah. But in any like new habit formation, like what you want to do is attach it to something that you already do naturally. So then that'll act as like your cue to do the next activity. Like if you're trying to like not look at your phone first thing in the morning, like you need another thing that you do when you like open your eyes. Cause you like, you're literally going to like reach for your phone. If that's what you do, yeah. you're going to have to like stop your hand. Like it's going to be like, but it's like already reaching for it. It's cause it's happening. Like before you even have conscious awareness of it happening. Yeah. So it has to, and you have to replace it with something else. Cause otherwise you're like, well, what am I doing? I'm just going to like, lie in bed and do what so it's like okay i'm gonna wake up go to the bathroom i'm gonna turn the coffee machine on like those are the sequence of events yeah so if someone comes to your website do you do consulting for people or what kind of services are available so i have the podcast i have a podcast called the brain shape podcast that comes out every tuesday and i interview experts in the field of health and aging and it's been excellent so that's my free offering to people for my like community. Um, But I also do one-on-one coaching. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I only work with older adults. So it's someone that is in what I call like the second phase of life, because it's not like you have to be a certain age, but I'm not going to work with like a 20 year old because that's not where my expertise lies. But if someone is like retiring or they're empty nesting and they're like in this new phase of life where they're like, Mm -hmm. I need to start focusing on taking care of their health. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't know where to start. Like they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to build the proper habits. And so I have um, like a 90 day one-on-one coaching program that goes through all of the different pillars of brain health. So I go through like the food and nutrition piece. And I have this like eating protocol for people to follow that can give them like a guideline on how to nourish their body with like nutrient dense foods. Um, We talk about why people need to be exercising, like what it actually does to your physiology. It's not just like, Oh, you can lose 10 pounds. (laughs) Why it's so important for your health to do it. And a lot of the clients that come to me are struggling with sleep. A lot of people, when they're a little bit older, they have trouble sleeping because they've had like inconsistent sleep for most of their life. And it's the exact example of a bad habit. Like you have the habit of you go to bed too late and you wake up every three hours, if you've been doing that for a decade, your body's just on that routine. It's what we do is we go to bed at 2 a.m. and we wake up every two hours, like that's what we do. And so it's hard to fix that, but it's possible to fix it, but it takes intention and effort. And so I help a lot of my clients get better sleep, but we essentially just go through the four pillars of brain health, stress management, sleeping mental challenges and then so they go like they get like a educational component every week so they have a video lecture that they watch but then we also have one-on-one coaching calls once a week because it's not just information like what i teach about this is healthy living like eating well and exercising and sleeping well and stress management people know that everyone's like yeah i know but i can't or i'm still struggling or it's hard So it's like, how do you actually help someone become successful by identifying what is keeping them from achieving that? Like, what are the barriers that are getting in their way of achieving their healthy habits? Because 
most people struggle with these things. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is it's damaging our brains and our bodies. If you're like eating like crap and you're not sleeping, you're doing so much and you're super stressed out all the time. Your body is not functioning well. And it's like damaging your vascular system and your heart's pumping too fast and your blood pressure is high and your blood sugar is elevated and all inconsistent throughout the day. Um, and you're not sleeping. So your brain's like not getting like cleared out as much as it should. Yeah. And that is having such a detrimental effect day in and day out. And then by the time you're older, it all compounds on itself mm-hmm. and it makes healthy living really difficult. And it's like, how can you set someone's life up? So it's basically like lifestyle coaching, yeah. but it's building healthy habits in a way that is meaningful for someone's specific life because everyone has different limitations too so it's not just a cookie cutter like here this is what you need to do like run half an hour every day it's like uh what (laughs) like I have like a mobility issue I can't do that (laughs) how do you how do you get someone that has a mobility issue to move every day like there's ways to incorporate movement in that context but it's like I teach the pillars of brain health and then help with the implementation into a specific person's life um so that is my one-on-one coaching program so I'm a huge fan of habits <laughs> so in habit yeah. research, habit loop, uh, habit stacking. <laughs> so yeah, habits are like, great uh, behind the scenes. And, and yeah, it makes, it makes so much sense. It, and it has to be on an on, on individual level, right? If, if I don't know what you're doing right now, well, I don't know how to change you. Right. So I can't tell you my habits to, to work with you because they might be count. We have to break yours first and we, I don't know what they are. Yeah, exactly. And you have to meet everyone where they are, right? Like you can't be like, okay, so you want these new habits? Like we're going to start with this like two hour workout. And it's like, like, I don't, I don't work out at all. I don't think I can just go like straight into a two hour workout. But if you're talking to like an athlete (laughs) that works out an hour a day, like you're going to be starting an hour workout. And if you tell an athlete, like, I want you to just put on your gym shoes today. (laughs) What? (laughs) I live in my gym shoes I exercise (laughs) all day long (laughs) yeah no exactly and that's and yeah the habit thing is so interesting to me because we all know this on a conceptual level but if you actually notice it throughout the day like notice the habits that you have because we all have them right and it's like so what are yours like the listeners that are paying attention and listening to this right now like what are their habits and like which habits are the like would you categorize under like these are the habits I really like that I have and like these are the habits I don't like yeah a lot of it can be environmental design my wife also has a PhD in uh, sports psych and yeah I I was giving a talk on habits uh, the other day and I realized how she just manipulates my habits (laughs) when (laughs) Oh no, the apples are going to go bad. And then she changes where they are in the room. And suddenly I'm like, I really like apples, right? Oh my God, like nudging. (laughs) She cares about like the apples today. I don't know why. She's like, yeah, I have no idea why you did that. (laughs) She gets upset when I wear like summer clothes in the fall. So then she'll put like my fall colors on top of the drawer. And then suddenly I dress fall appropriate. (laughs) I'm like, stop it. that's the best but like nudging is a thing right like in the grocery store where the food is located the food that's at eye level you're gonna buy more than the food that's like in the top and bottom shelves so you're like 
effortlessly picking it. And it's like, that's by design. This isn't, oh, we didn't notice it was eye level and that you're going to pick it up more likely than other things. They're doing that on purpose. And I just started watching The Social Dilemma. I haven't finished it yet. Um, But it's like, I mean, I think people... are aware of the fact that like one people design technology like it didn't just come out of nowhere and it's not and anything that's like designed like everything is designed with a purpose mm-hmm. and it's trying to get you to do things oh yeah yeah just and like Mador- your wife does to you with the fall clothes <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like by design yeah. <laughs> And you walk around thinking like you have all this free will and I chose, you know what? I felt like cookies today, right? And you're like, well, did you? Where was it the yeah. thing you first saw when you got into the store? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's like, and we do have free will, but it yeah. is once you start actually paying attention to what habits you have, yeah. you realize how many of them happen on like a subconscious mm-hmm. level. Cause even the habit of like, I get really stressed out and then I drink, like I have a glass of wine when I come home after yeah. a stressful day. It's like the stress is the trigger. So you're like, I'm stressed. Like I need a glass of wine. Like this is how I decompress. And it's like, yeah. So you have to think about it as like the cue, the stressor is driving your, like, what do you do when you're stressed out? Yeah. And it's like, it doesn't have to be a glass of wine. Like it yeah. could be exercise or yeah. going for a run or being out in nature or like drinking a glass of water, having tea. It's, but you have to like notice that link and be like, oh, like I'm actually do feel stressed. That's why I'm like reaching for the wine. And once you have that awareness, yeah. then you can switch it. Then you can change it. Okay. We've covered uh, what you do. I will put a link to the podcast for sure. Is there, anything, awesome. is there anything that you think maybe we've missed that you want to put out there on aging and uh, successful aging? Um, well, not about, because I'm just thinking like the listeners are students, right? They're I do have like students, I do have some, like my grandmother listens to this. <laughs> like, <laughs> I do have oh, well, in that case, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> brainscape.ca. No, because yeah. um, I was just thinking about like when too. you're a student, when you're a student and you want to, and you're figuring out what you want to do, and you, we talked about this earlier, but it's this idea of, um, like, academia is not the only path. Yeah. Right? Like, there are multiple other paths, but the, like, when you have, when you're trying something new, and this is true, I guess, for any listeners, not just students that are trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives, mm-hmm. but, like, anytime you try something new that is, like, outside of your comfort zone, one, it's like, it's going to be challenging, right? So it's not just like, you know, this is hard, so I should stop doing it. But like, look for people that can help guide you along the path. Like the people that have done the thing that you want to do. And how can they help lead you in an easier way? So it's like, I, one of the best things I did after I started working full time on brain shape is I went through a one-on-one coaching program about building like an online business. Oh, awesome. Because I never, I never studied business. I have no idea how to run a business. Like I didn't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And you feel you have this like 
and because it's like we live in this in age of information there's so much information and so it goes for anyone that's like oh i'm going to learn something it's like oh i can do that for free on the internet like i can watch youtube videos and put the pieces together and it's like yeah you can you can absolutely learn anything there's like so much free content it's crazy but if you're trying to get somewhere and you don't want it to take like five to ten years of you like struggling to put the pieces together mm. like there are people that you can hire and get consulting from that can clean the path up for you mm -hmm. and so like the best decision I made at least for when I was starting the business is to hire someone that could help me in like what it meant to run an online business yeah and like that I of course I took last year and so now it's been a year and it's like insane how much more clarity I have about like everyday activities and where I need to spend my attention because like we have to think about our brains as like the we're limited resources. Yeah. Like we only have so much brain capacity. So like what, how you choose to spend your attention, it's like it chips away at the limited pool that you have available each day. So if you spend your time on social media for a few hours a day, like you've just tapped out and a bunch of resources and like depleted these energy stores that you might want to be using for other purposes. And so it's like figuring out like what it is that you want in your life, whether it's like, yeah, maybe someone does want to learn how to play guitar, but like get the support that you need so you can actually make that like a reality in your life. Because now, at least like in global pandemic world, so much stuff is available virtually too. And you have now access to courses and teachers from like all over the world mm -hmm. that can teach in a virtual space and they can help like lead you through like what it is that you want to learn. But it's a lot of people have uh, the impression that they can figure it out on their own. And I totally believe that people can, like you can put in the time like and figure it out. Mm -hmm. But if you want to like shorten your timeline, <laughs> yeah. then ask for help. Like there's yeah. a million people out there that want to help you in like your goals that you have. Like you have a PhD in coaching psychology. Yeah. But like, that's like a whole like structure about like how to like optimize your like sports play. And like yeah. there's there's just so much expertise out there um, and there's so much potential for us as humans to become like the best versions of ourselves, whatever that looks like, whatever age you are. Yeah. Um, and people just need to have the courage to like ask for the support that they want and need to make those inroads and to make that sort of vision a reality. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I kind of think of it as invest in yourself early. And yeah. it doesn't mean that if you hire a physical trainer, right, at the gym, that you're with that trainer for 10 years, right? It's expensive, but okay, well, invest three months, right? And just take yeah. notes while you're there. What am I doing? Like, and so that after three months, you don't need them anymore, right? But, exactly, yeah. exactly. It's like yeah. you learn what you need to know in those, like that short time period. Yeah. And then you move on. And it's the same, like, mental health and that, like having a therapist, like someone that can help you like put together the pieces that you're struggling with yeah. and like have it transform your life. And I, and I don't know if it's like a, the human condition, like we're, I guess these autonomous beings are like very like confident and like, I can figure it out. I can do it. And like, I just feel like there's so much opportunity for people to become better versions of themselves, to feel happier, to have more energy, to be like mentally healthier, yeah. but we like resist asking anyone for anything. It's like, no, I can do this by myself. And it's like, yeah. you could in a 
you know, a short period of time, like you said, like you just do a few sessions with someone or however long it takes, but then you take those notes and it like will transform your life for the rest of your life. Yeah. Awesome. So we're running low here. I'm going to ask you one more question. <laughs> just leave, leave off. Um, oh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get two, but <laughs> we'll see. If you have, if you're trying to set a new habit, if you have yep. just the quick, quick and dirty basics, basics, what would you give someone? You want to try something new? What's, how would you encourage them to create a new habit? Um, so I would use the habit formation like model. So each habit has a cue, which like starts the habit, the mm -hmm. habit itself or the action and a reward. Yeah. So in any new habit formation, you have to think about that sort of like triangle of things. So what cue can you use to start your action, whatever your desired behavior is? And so it could be like a time, like the time of day, it could be a specific location. Like anytime I am on my way to school, I do X. It could be a certain emotion. Like when I feel this way, I do whatever, or a person, like when this person's around, this action takes yeah. place. Yeah. Um, so identifying the cue and then what behavior you want. So that's like the habit itself, which is whatever it is that you are trying to create for yourself, mm -hmm. but then also the reward. So what do you get out of having that new habit? Yeah. Um, so identifying that so that you can sort of create your own like momentum for continuing to do it. Yeah. But the important thing is to think about the cue is something that has to happen naturally. So it can't be something that you like have to do also, because that's like, you want it to be something that naturally happens throughout the day. So it's like, I get out of bed, like that just happens. You don't have to like do it, it's yeah. happening. Yeah. Or it's 9am, like 9am just happens. Or I come home from work, like that happens. It doesn't, you don't have to do it. So the yeah. cue should be something that happens naturally. And then that can start the behavior cycle. And so think about like anyone that's listening, like what are your cues that trigger certain behaviors? And like, I invite everyone to think about like when you wake up in the morning, like what's your first action? Like you get out of bed, that's your cue. And everyone has a habit that follows that. And it will probably be pretty consistent. So whether it's I go to the bathroom or I turn on the coffee machine or I look at my phone for an hour while I'm in bed, like whatever it is, but it's like something happens, like you wake up and then what do you do? Yeah. And it's often very routine based. Um, and so, yeah, that's like the easiest way to change a habit is to think about the cue and yeah. then to build your habit on that. Yeah. You can always work backwards too, is if you do the behavior you don't want or the behavior you do and then just go, Oh, that was good. What happened before that? And you just write it down. And then uh -oh. it happens like seven, six, eight times and you read and you're like, oh, every single, you know, six out of seven times it was this that preceded it. That's my cue. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Reverse engineering. I like that. <laughs> awesome. Um, and then last, last uh, question before we go, I always like to give some uh, you an opportunity or my guests to have an opportunity to say, you know, maybe highlight someone who they think is doing good work. So it could be in the Ooh. field of aging, in the field of podcasting, it could be in the field of uh, psychology. So is there anyone oh. you think is doing really nice work? Right That's super interesting. Um, yeah. So a lot of my time right now, because we're like in the middle of a global pandemic, yes. like it's a <laughs> lot of... <laughs> I'm spending a lot of time, more time on social media than I would like to admit. Um, 
And for me, that's gotten a little bit convoluted because it's like associated with work. Mm -hmm. Um, But my, the woman that I took my business program from, like her name is Rachel Bell. Rachel Bell. And yeah, so, and like, it's, she's just doing some incredible work in terms of empowering the people that she works with, but also as like a model for how to be a, like a good business owner, but it's not just like, oh, I need, like, if you're a good business owner, you're generating a lot of income. Like, yeah. it's like, she truly cares about like human beings and their yeah. well-being. Ethical and, business, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but it's also like, how do you, how do you create from that place? Mm-hmm. Right. It's not like you're just creating to be like, okay, like what's the next click and hit and like, where, where's the next invoice payment coming from? Yeah. It's like, how can you create with your ideal client in mind with the objective of actually improving their life. Yeah. And, and I'm so thankful that I was mentored by her and taught by her because it's about like creating your free content. That's so powerful that people are like, if this is their free content, then like, yeah. I don't, under- I don't understand what you get out of the paid content because this free stuff's so good. Yeah. And it's like, that's where you want to be, where you're like blowing your community's mind on a regular basis with like the content that you produce, but it's coming from a place of authenticity yeah. and integrity. But it, and it's like, you truly value your, the people in your community's like well-being. So for me, it's like, I'm building my brain shape community. I have like listeners for my podcast and it's about like, how can I make an improvement in their lives, regardless of whether they hire me as their one-on-one coach or buy one of my like paid opportunities. Like that's not the goal. It's like, if I can actually affect change in people's lives, just by virtue of my free content alone, that is so powerful. And I create from that. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you very much for spending time with me today. It was an awesome conversation. Uh, yeah, who great. wants to check it out, go to brainshape.ca or brainshape podcast. You can hear more from Andrea on a variety of topics. I've listened to a couple episodes and she's fortunately, unlike me, has a nice voice for podcasting. So it's Your a voice is fine. <laughs> yeah, I did my very first one and my wife's listening to it. It was with a colleague of mine, Jeff. She goes, oh, Jeff sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> Your wife sounds awesome. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> like backwards comments. <laughs> uh, uh, great. I'm. You'll email me obviously when it comes out because I yeah, love perfect, to look at it. Perfect.